So here's what happened. I recorded a 20 minute version of this introduction, started editing it and realized I was boring even myself. So <laughs> I'm going to try again. I'm going to try not to mince my words quite so much because the reason it was boring is because I was trying to be delicate around subjects that I don't feel comfortable talking about. My name's Alice. I'm a recovering people pleaser. Uh, I yeah, really hate conflict on pretty much any level. I didn't grow up with great models of conflict, not to get too deep, literally half a minute into the podcast. <laughs> but yeah, don't, I don't like it. I don't like it. I just want everyone to like each other and be friendly all the time. I don't know if you're into that Myers-Briggs stuff, but um, I, I was deeply for a short time. And whenever I did that, I always got the peacemaker, which on the one hand, I'm like, God damn, that's so boring. But it's also it's accurate. It's really accurate. Anyway, the reason I bring all that up is to get the most out of this interview with the wonderful Gareth Morgan, who I was so excited to talk to and so bloody nervous. You kind of need to know about a few historical poetry conflicts and one not so historical, a little bit more recent, quite recent actually, so recent that I feel a bit uncomfortable bringing it up. So the two historical ones I'll call Rex Ingemels versus A.D. Hope, that's one. Max Harris versus himself is the second one, and they're interrelated, interlinked. And then the third one I'll call Jeff Page versus everyone, and that was quite recent. Back to Gareth. Gareth Morgan is a poet from Williamstown, a little beachside suburb in Melbourne. He wrote a gorgeous chapbook a couple of years ago called Dear Eileen, and he's just put out his first full-length collection, When a Punk Becomes a Spunk, and that came out through the Rabbit Poet series. Gareth is also one of the co-directors of Sick Leave, which is a reading series here in Melbourne. I talked in a previous episode about how nobody missed poetry readings when we were all in lockdown. Sick Leave is definitely an example of a poetry reading where not only do you actually want to go, but you feel like you missed out on something if you didn't make it for whatever reason. So Gareth is a third of that collective alongside Harry Reid and Ursula Robinson Shaw, both of whom we also mention. And we mention a bunch of other stuff fairly offhand. We don't really uh, go into too much detail, but I don't want you to be confused, especially if you're listening from overseas or like me, you just don't have an in-depth encyclopedic knowledge of Australian poetry history and controversy. So I want to give you all the context. So Gareth's back in Melbourne after spending about three months in New York City, and we talk about that at the start. Now that he's back here, he is part of a class that I'm also in called the Poetics of Rebellion in Australasia. It's a once a week of a five weeks thing, and we mention our teacher Elise, Dr. Elise Dowden. Elise is an amazing teacher. Somehow she makes two hours on Zoom on a Monday night feel like just hanging out and having a great time. And if something like that sounds interesting to you, 
I will link to the Melbourne School of Continental Philosophy. They mainly do um, what looks like pretty heavy philosophical subjects, but every now and then there's a poetry subject in there. And you don't have to be in Melbourne to join, so come and hang out. Back to the Poetry Wars. Uh, One of the movements that we talked about in this class is a school of poetry called the Jindy Warabaks. Pam Brown mentioned them offhand when I talked to her the other month, and I had no idea who she was referring to. I just kind of nodded and hoped that she wouldn't notice. But I've since found out a little bit more about this whole movement. And yeah, there were this... um, this strange little collection of poets headed up by a guy called Rex Ingemels out of Adelaide. Um, This is back in 1938 and he had this sort of manifesto. He wanted the Jindy Warabaks to be individuals who are uh, endeavouring to free Australian art from whatever alien influences trammel it. So what he wanted was, he had, he had three, a three-point plan. One, he wanted a clear recognition of environmental values. Two, the debunking of much nonsense. I have no idea what he means by that still. If I figure it out, I'll let you know. And three, he wanted an understanding of Australia's history and traditions, primeval, colonial, and modern. And that's important because when he was writing, um, any recognition of or thinking about He calls it here the primeval. That's not a fantastic word to be using, but he's basically talking about pre-colonial history. I still wasn't quite getting it. I dug out this very detailed article by a guy called Dan Tout. He puts it a little better than I have. He said that the Jindiwarabaks turned towards Aboriginal Australians as bearers of the spirit of the place. I guess you could say it's a noble goal. It's a lofty goal. The Jindy Warabaks were, as far as I can tell, not that popular. And one of the people who they managed to piss off was A.D. Hope. A.D. Hope, big name, poetry dude, uh, such a big figure in the history of Australian poetry that he had a lecture hall named after him at my university. (laughs) So I I really didn't know who A.D. Hope was for many years. I just knew that I was going to meet Tom at A.D. Hope. But yeah, 1941, A.D. Hope writes in Southerly that the Jindy Warabaks might be described as the Boy Scout School of Poetry. He went on to say some extremely racist things in that quote that I'm really not going to repeat, but if you want to hate on A.D. Hope, follow that link. And this is writing against this idea that the Jindy Warabaks had that To quote another one of them, Ian Moody, we are merely aliens in our own land and nothing else. And A.D. Hope said that that was uh, basically an emotional outburst masquerading as an argument. And he added, we have created a new European country in Australia and we belong to the European nations even though we do not live in Europe. Interestingly, one of the founding members of the Jindy Warabaks was one Max Harris editor of Angry Penguins and even though he was a founding member he pretty quickly fell out of love with the whole idea and then he jumped onto Mianjin and said that he objected to quote their aboriginalizing of English and that's despite the fact that he 
published his own book under the Ginger Warabak imprint. So Max Harris takes aim at his own supporters and little did he know that the journal that he was editing, Angry Penguins, was about to publish a bunch of fake poems by a fake poet called Ern Malley. I think that might be why we don't talk about the Jindy Warabaks because whatever they were aiming for, I feel like maybe got washed away by that controversy. This might all sound like ancient history and hopefully I'm not boring you, (laughs) but the reason I bring it up is we're still very much grappling with this stuff. Even when we're not talking about it, I think it's there. I think it's embedded in how we think, how we write. Pausing here to think about who do I mean when I say we? That's that's pretty loaded. I'm definitely talking about white Australian poets, for sure. But this is all just to say this question of how should we write, how should the settler colonizers write, is still there. I think every time a poem gets written by a white Australian, it either ignores that or it tries to grapple with it in some way. Um, But the question is still there. It's still unanswered. Getting back to Gareth, even though he is a softly spoken guy, some of what he says here I thought was pretty provocative. Gareth is, I think, at least 10 years younger than me uh, and a lot, lot braver. And this comes up when we get into a conversation towards the end about reviews and about difficulty. And when we talk about difficulty, we bring up something I have been trying to avoid, but it's always there in my head, which is the last controversy I mentioned, Jeff Page versus the world. His uh, 2014 article published in Southerly, Obscurity in Poetry, A Spectrum. When that came out, 2014, I was really just on the edge of poetry here in Melbourne. I only knew a few people and I didn't really understand why everybody was so angry, but I knew that they were pretty bloody angry. I went away and read the article and I remember thinking a bunch of things. I remember thinking, why has Jeff Page decided to write this? Jeff was a um, a teacher at my high school. He's a, a traditionalist. Is that a good way to put it? He writes in, in meter and rhyme a lot of the time. He's a very, very well-known reviewer, reviews for the Canberra Times a lot and other places. And I looked at it and I thought, why ha- has has obscurity, as Jeff puts it, has that reached a point that um, he felt like he had to take it on? Is he taking it on just because he feels like he wants to stir something up? I mean, that doesn't seem all that likely, but I wondered why. I felt quite implicated because at the time, uh, and still now a lot of the time, but, but less so, I was writing the kind of poetry that Jeff was describing and I was falling into most of the traps that he was describing. The way the article is structured, it's, it's set out with these eight kinds of obscurity, desirable or essential obscurity, inevitable obscurity, 
obscurity of cultural reference. I was definitely doing that. Syntactical obscurity, obscurity for tonal effect, accidental obscurity. I was definitely doing that. Reckless obscurity. Yes, thousand percent. And willful obscurity. <laughs> Jeff says, this is where the poet deliberately intends to shock the reader by relinquishing traditional syntax. Um, and he talks about E.E. E. Cummings. And this is where the article um, went into territory that got everybody very, very, very upset because Jeff Page was talking specifically about, um, he used an example from Michael Farrell's Open Sesame and picked it apart. And um, then the, the response to that was so heated a negative response to that was so heated and to the article in general. But what Southerly did was they decided to redact just the paragraph where Jeff talked about Michael Farrell's work. And this, <laughs> I know, I know that sounds like so mental and it is, I think if you can cast your mind back to 2014, it might've felt more like that would have worked. <laughs> Now, obviously, you know, like if you say something, do something, like sneeze in front of your computer, it's there forever. But I think, I think the the editors, and I don't know who the editors were at the time, but I can follow their logic. I guess they just didn't understand that the internet already worked the way that it does and, and always did, which is that everything is always there especially if people are motivated to capture it and so that paragraph lives on in a piece called um the poet tasters by ben etherington um which i think also pissed a bunch of people off i'm not really sure <laughs> see this is the thing is i just don't know what i don't know what the impact was fully because i wasn't engaged at the time and i don't know what it is now I don't know whether people still think about this in the way that I do, but for me, Jeff's article and Ben's article are both lodged in my brain as like, this is, this is the other side of, of all the play and all the difficulty and all of the, the freedom that I'm, I'm really comfortable with. And I, I sort of take as a, as a given as part of poetry, but not everybody thinks that way. So when I get to this with Gareth, I say, look, I was too scared um, to talk about this ever. And I still am. What I would like to say is that if any of those editors of Southerly or Jeff or Michael or anyone who jumped into that comment thread, like wants to talk about this, <laughs> then I'm happy to talk about it with you. I just don't trust my take is the thing I will say that for me personally, I think it was useful to encounter that piece at that time because I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just kind of mashing words together and, and hoping that something worked. And I was being pretty reckless. Yeah, I, I, I thought I was pretty hot shit, but uh, I, I wouldn't read you any of my drafts from that time. Okay, so we're nearly, we're nearly done. Oh my God. We also talk about Gareth's review of a book called Cities by Petra White. This came out from Vagabond just very recently. And if you think about all those controversies and, and all that sort of 
um, back and forth. And if you think about how um, closely linked all the players are, you know, like Jeff was my high school teacher, for one thing. Um, the comments on that Southerly article are like a list of people that I've interviewed on this show <laughs> half the time. Um, it gives you a sense of how difficult it can be to take a critical stance sometimes. But as I said, Gareth is younger and braver than me and he didn't like cities and he wrote a review about it that wasn't that friendly. I hadn't read cities when we recorded this, but I have now. I think I like it more than Gareth does. I still prefer Petra's poems from A Hunger. She's doing something different here, more mythic. I always struggle with the mythic stuff because I don't understand it and I don't really care about it, which I know is just a crazy thing to say, but it's true. But yeah, I think I can see, I think I like it better than Gareth does. I can also follow his argument in criticizing it, but just to lead in, and so it's fresh in your mind when we get to the discussion of that book, I wanted to read you a poem from it. This is by Petra White. It's called For My Daughter, Ten Weeks Old. Stay afloat in your wobbling pea-green boat, free as an owl that leaps from a branch. I cannot wish your future this or that. Near and far as a wine-dark sea, it sends no images back. The night outside is moon-bright, windy, haggard, still. Slumber in my wolfing gaze, my hard, slippery hands, my aching arms. Dark spirits of motherhood come with gifts of frailty. They say I will suffer and fail, and you will not forgive me. So they say, they are laughing, and we are laughing too, though the green-leaf forest of the living is already calling us, wrapping itself around us with its wishes, counting very slowly in the time it takes to grow. Your near-bearable smallness unpicked like a stitch, your nugget self, the moving eyes, bursting to be caught in spiderwebs of vision that the wind in silk gloves lays across your path. In birth, we tumbled into darkness and stars, the beginnings of ends, and I hold you as long as I can. So basically tell me everything. What was it like? What did you see? What did you learn? Um, what stands out? I mean, I did go to a few like readings and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it was still like, it was kind of a bit like post COVID still, like there was a lot of zoom stuff that I was like, I can't really go to the zoom thing. Um, yeah. And then I, I eventually went to a few like launches and stuff where it was like, you know, I didn't know anyone and it was very like full of people who knew each other. So I like would stand in the corner and, and freak out, but also like, it was cool. It was kind of cool. Yeah. It's kind of terrible, but yeah. <laughs> it just is like that. Like, yeah. Because how would you have any, I mean, unless you already had some connection with somebody over there, you just have to, it is just a cold start problem. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which is exciting in theory, but also just like terrifying and annoying in practice. It's it like, is, it is terrifying and annoying and, yeah. and quite boring as well. Yeah. You just sort of like go and you feel weird and then you go home. 
Yeah, and then you're like, yeah. what was that? Did that mean anything? I don't know. Yeah. But do, but are there things that are coming back to you now that, you know, have changed the way that you think about stuff or? Um, I'm not sure. Like, what do you mean think about stuff? Like? Well, I found that when I was there, because I got to see a different level of performance of poetry, um, mm-hmm. not just in spoken word circles but just in general the way the the poets would sort of stand and deliver Mm. um i felt like i came back with a with much more permission to kind of try to aim for that Mm. whereas prior to going over you know i I felt like the standard here was very much like stand and mumble Mm. and um i feel like the poets are mumbling over there they're still still, they're also mumbling they're mumbling okay yeah i think yeah the the main thing that I like that struck me is that like there's just like like a lot of hype literary events going on like literature is like or like alt lit I guess is like having a weird moment and like really yeah like being I mean also like live events I guess are like kind of more desirable mm. after COVID so I went to a few things that were just like fully packed and like you couldn't move. People just really excited to be there. Yeah. Or like some people, people are excited to be there. Some people are excited because of the people reading. Mm -hmm. And then some people are just excited to be there, period. And they're like in the back, like they can't hear the readers and they're just like talking and shit. Um, (laughs) Which was interesting. One night we saw um, Ariana Rhines was reading at a magazine launch for Forever Mag, Mm -hmm. um, which was just like fully packed. Um, And she was like, she just looked very like uncomfortable. Like she's I've probably like never done a reading to like a room where like half the people were like simply not listening or like didn't know who she was or whatever. Wow, okay. So so people wanted to be there to have been to that event and then go yeah. somewhere else and say, Oh yeah, we were just at the launch of, of Forever Mag. Yeah. Or like there was like a music performance after, so maybe they were there for that as okay. well. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, like yeah, and, and it's a party as well. Like, mm-hmm. I guess that's kind of part of it as well. Okay. Yeah. So, but you were saying there's a bit of a, a bit of hype, like a bit of an aura around um, certain types of events and certain types of writing. Yeah. yeah, little magazines, yeah. Little magazines. Little, but sort of quite big magazines, yeah. Cool. New magazines, yeah. Okay. Pretty cool. Pretty good stuff. Yeah. But also, I'm like, I don't really understand it because I'm Australian. Mm. Yeah. I think as an American, you would understand like what, what the kind of cultural significance of it is. Whereas like it, as in like this emergent culture of like Mm. hype magazines, like, why is that happening? I don't really know why that's happening apart from like we're partying because the world is ending or something. And like people have a weird taste for like books, maybe because of COVID, but maybe just maybe for some other reason i wonder what the other reason would be well it sounds to me like quite a bit of signaling yeah i mean yeah i think that's part of the the kind of literary moment is like people are buying books and not reading them or whatever (laughs) like that's decorative items yeah 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 i feel like there's a lot of memes about that Um, oh really and people yeah people are writing essays about like that kind of stuff as well someone wrote an essay about not reading for like liminal i think yeah taking photos with with books um but i don't know yeah i kind of believe that people do read the books or that they try 
it does seem bizarre that somebody would buy a book just like they would buy a house plant. Yeah, well, it's kind of, yeah, it's aspirational in that way. Yeah. Yeah. And like, yeah, they're like, I'll read it tomorrow or I'll read it when I'm not hungover or whatever. Yeah, I'm like half the books up there are in that category. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, all, all people do that. Yeah. It's not like inherently <laughs> bad, but yeah, it's like... Did you see anybody read that really blew you away or hear any work that really blew you away? Um, I didn't go to that many things. Like, yeah, nothing comes to mind. It was more just like the aura like surrounding these events was like very fascinating and like kind of exciting but also like made you feel a bit crazy as well in what way um yeah just like I just don't understand what's going on I'm like what is who are these people what do they want you know and who am I like I mean I was also just like having an identity crisis like who am I what am I doing here that's probably more the, the the bigger issue there is just like yeah I think that's really normal that's really really normal um to finally get to... I mean, had New York been a goal for a while? Yeah, yeah, because yeah, Lucy's from there. Um, oh, I didn't realise that. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's basically why we went back. Like, she's been here. She's a dual citizen, so she's been here for, like, eight years. Um, is she still there? She's still there, yeah, which is the main issue here. Oh, that's yeah. tough. Yeah, that's yeah. tough, and you're not sure when you can get back. Yeah, yeah, I think I will hopefully get into school there and mm. get a student visa. Which school? Um, City University of New York. Cool. Yeah. AKA CUNY. AKA CUNY, yeah, correct. Right. Yeah. Fuck um, yeah. Great people, I think. Very difficult to talk to them, but I think once I'm in, it'll be really nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you have a, in New York, your accent is exotic and beautiful, so. That's very true. You'll yeah. be, People will flock to you, I'm sure. Um, Maybe. <laughs> I've heard a lot about that, but yeah. People are nice there. Yeah. I find Americans to be incredibly kind and polite, and then I have no idea what it means. Mm. Yeah, New Yorkers aren't polite. No, New Yorkers are not polite. Yeah. No. But yeah, I know what you mean about not quite understanding it. Like, it's a truly like, kooky place I guess it's just like you can't understand any culture very easily no but um, there's an expectation because it's an English speaking nation that you'll go there and it won't be so bad but it's actually way 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 harder mm-hmm. because your words flying back and forth and you're just misunderstanding each other all the time yeah and, re- and they're all crazy <laughs> I'm sure they're pretty crazy they're right really, now they're really crazy yeah <laughs> yeah which is kind of nice yeah I had a moment like one of the first nights we were there we were at a bar with Lucy's mum and um, the bar, they, they give you free shots a lot for some reason, I don't know why, um, which is kind of cool, but also very dangerous. Mm. Um, and the guy behind the bar asked me if I wanted a shot and I thought he asked me if I wanted to go shopping with him, oh, which so adorable. is so stupid, but also it's totally adorable, but yeah. I felt very embarrassed no, and very course. like lost in translation. Like, of course. Yeah. Well, I'm really glad that in a way, um, it sounds like a real fuck around to have to come back in the, in the interim. Mm. But I'm really glad that I get the chance to talk to you because when I went to your launch, Ursula was saying, oh, we're probably going to lose Gareth to New York. And I kind of thought she was kidding <laughs> or like that was sort of an idea, you know. Yeah. But um, yeah, that t- sounds like we, we might and that sucks. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, I'm not going forever, but I'll be gone for a while, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I did want to ask you about your launch because um, I had quite a, a fun and funny experience there, but I'm wondering what your experience was. No, what was your, what was your funny experience? <laughs> well, <laughs> because it was the first in-person launch, I think, that had happened that year, this year. Yeah. Um, and it hadn't even been rescheduled even one time. True. And it was at the Alderman, it was out the back, and there were so many people there. It's interesting you talk about hype at these events that you've been to because um, I was I was trying to give other people room and in the process I kind of got further and further and further back from, from the where you guys were reading. And um, where I was standing, people were trying to get a better view and someone was literally climbing the fence <laughs> to, really? to see. Cool. And I just thought, I've never been to, and I don't think I ever will go to, a poetry event where people are climbing fences. And it, But it didn't feel like it was hype for hype's sake. I felt like people were there because they were excited to hear um, your work and to hear from Harry and Urshel as well. Mm. But what was your experience of it? Was it just a blur or...? Um, I had a lot of fun, yeah. It was a bit of a blur. I think I just got quite drunk, uh, as I tend to do at, at readings and, and even at my own book launch. I will. Look, you uh, gotta do it. Yeah, you yeah. gotta do it. I mean, it was, yeah, it was really good. It was really fun and um, a lot of friends came and, yeah. Yeah, I'm really glad you got to have that. Yeah, yeah, me too. It was a good, weird send-off, even though now I'm back. But no, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. Um and so one of the big questions that I've been thinking about in preparing to chat with you is this question of whether you feel that you are at the center of something. Because most poets who I speak to for this show will say to me off mic, oh, Alice, you talk to so many people, you know, I feel like I'm not part of things I feel on the outer I feel like there's an in crowd and I'm not part of it Hmm. but I always find that funny because enough people have said it to me now that I'm like well we can't all be on the outside guys like maybe if everyone's on the outside then everyone's also on the inside but um but I do feel I did feel at that launch and I do feel I feel when I go to sick leave as well that there is a sense of being at the center of things like this is where the thing is but then I wonder what you guys feel about that I mean I feel very anxious and and like outside um yeah I mean maybe it's just like being a writer and like you you have that natural tendency to feel like an outsider but then also there's an anxiety about being read and cared about and taken seriously as well Mm. that's just like unavoidable yeah I definitely I don't feel like I'm at the center I think sick leave feels like a center for sure but it's definitely not the center maybe but but like yeah center's a funny word because like isn't like John Kinsella the center but then it's like I don't I don't even read John Kinsella you know it's like (laughs) but but yeah or like is Michael Farrell the center I don't know who the center is Pam Brown maybe I feel like you named some three pretty good contenders there. Yeah. Um, but a center, or yeah, yeah, the center is not the right way to put it, is it? There are there are multiple centers. And... I think there has to be multiple. But then, yeah, like, yeah, I don't even know if there is a center of Australian poetry. No, I don't think and so. Maybe there was in the past. Maybe it was Canberra. 
Oh, God. No, I don't. <laughs> no, apparently someone was telling me. I can't remember who. Um, maybe D. At a certain, maybe when they opened the university in Canberra. Right, like AD Hope days. AD Hope, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I feel like that was the centre. And then I don't know what was the centre after that. Is AD Hope pre or post Jindy Warabaks? I don't know. It feels like the Jindy Warabaks really, they really tried to do something and everyone just thought, uh, you guys are a bit silly. And yeah. Yeah. They seem quite silly. They, right. Yeah. <laughs> They seem so earnest to me. Like they really, they want to try to make, because Elise has talked a little bit about the void. Um, I wrote down something she said, which is lack of sovereignty creates a void. So the fact that white Australian poets are kind of writing in this space of having absolutely no claim to the country that they're writing on, there's this void there. Mm. Um, And the Gigi Warabags, it seems like we're coming in and saying, we're going to acknowledge that the void's there and we're going to try to make something in response to it. Mm. But that's, I don't know, it's pretty uncomfortable. Yeah. Were they like conscious of the void thing? I feel like they they were. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Like they were, yeah, they saw, yeah, they decided to make a non-void from the void. Yeah, they decided to make a non-void. Yeah. Um, Anyway, <laughs> well out of our depth. But they, they I were the centre. They were the centre once, maybe. Yeah, they, well, that's the funny <clears throat> thing, right? This yeah. idea that, like, the centre keeps moving around. Yeah. Um, but it probably was easier to point to one centre in the 1930s, 40s, 50s, whereas now, well, where would we point? Yeah. But everybody, this is the point I'm trying to make, is like everybody seems to be saying, I'm not at the centre, they're at the centre, yeah. I'm left out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, everyone's a big baby and that's just an unavoidable truth. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, well, let's let's move to, to something slightly related, but maybe a little easier to talk about, or maybe harder, I don't know. So I, I wanted to ask you about reviewing you're at the point now where you've had your beautiful chapbook, Dear Eileen, come out um, with Slow Loris, and you've had the full-length collection, When a Punk Becomes a Spunk, come out from Rabbit, and that was at the start of this year. And so um, now does it feel like there's a bit more space to sort of do that work as a reviewer, sort of pull back a bit? Um, probably. I mean, I kind of just did it because I didn't have a job and I was trying to make money. Right. Um, and you can just do it uh, a lot more easier than, well, like you get more money than writing a poem anyway. And yeah, I like writing reviews. I feel like I am like learning to be a bit smarter as well, which is good. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Well, your review of um, The Open, Lucy's book, was just really, really helpful for me. Stupidly, I ended up reading it after I'd interviewed her, <laughs> but then I could see the book from all these different angles these new angles that I didn't appreciate before and you also reviewed Petra White's book Cities which is a vagabond book that came out I think earlier this year yeah Yeah. or maybe last year yeah yeah what's been the response to that review so far nothing nothing which is kind of nice but a little weird but nice I don't know actually so no I got a nice message from a couple of people okay cool But it was a pretty, like, not friendly review. So I was, I don't know, I wasn't really expecting anyone to say anything, but 
No one did, and that's good. Well, yeah. interesting that you say that because I only know about it because I was at a, a launch for another thing and two other poetry people were talking about it and talking about how good it was to see a review that wasn't so friendly um, and was, they didn't put it this way, but I guess in a certain way holding a, a poet's feet to the fire a little bit, asking some questions. Yeah. So, but did you feel like you were going out on a limb? Um, I mean, I kind of just firmly believe that, that, that like, it's, it's extremely serious business to be reading and writing poetry, but also, like, you know, 17 people read that review, and, like, that's great, but also, like, yeah, I'm not gonna... It didn't feel that risky, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It helps that I don't know Petra White. Um, yeah, fair, fair. <laughs> that's always that's always a consideration which is, which is also a good thing you shouldn't really know the people you review probably but yeah mm. um, I'll just read a little bit of it to contextualise it and I think this maybe helps with our talking about the centre Petra White stands out in that a lot of Australian poetry is so tongue in cheek when looking at canonical themes from John Forbes to Evelyn Araluen Many Australian poets share a desire to defile the sacred myths of the West, an impulse White doesn't have. Her poems are porcelain treats. These treats are part of a city, but don't attempt to reproduce the feeling or image of a city. Why is White so far from the street, the workplace, the agora? In cities, the real cliché is the hustle and bustle of avant-garde art from which the author turns. So... This was really helpful for me. I really love Petra's work poems that she published in, um, oh, I want to say A Hunger, but that's probably the wrong book because they're together in a, in a, a single collection. Um, but I have noticed that seriousness. There's something here about this assumption that I, I know I come up with a lot on my own that if somebody is published by a major publisher, this goes for many more poets than Petra, somebody's published by a major publisher, um, they're well recognised, they've won prizes, um, and their work doesn't speak to me that I must be missing something. And so to read a review like this one, it, it just really helps kind of clear the air for me and just go, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a bit serious and that's not my vibe and so it's okay to sort of not to just admit like I don't I don't really enjoy it I haven't read cities so I can't mm. say whether I enjoy it or not but I think I probably have like a more shitty perspective which is that like if people are winning prizes I'm probably more likely to to like not like their poetry or something <laughs> yeah well um, partly the... out of um, jealousy and also just like I'm like I guess, I guess when you win the prize, then you, you open yourself up to, like, proper scrutiny as well. Yeah, okay. Well, if I'm really honest, then deep down, I'm pretty much on that same page. Yeah, um, I think you are. Yeah. <laughs> I think we all are. You can tell. Yeah. But, but no, <laughs> yeah. like, you do, you are forced to, like, contend with things that are, yeah, even just, like, published by a publisher that you like, mm. um, that is, like, a big publisher or whatever, whatever that means. Um, and yeah, you kind of, it can take a while to, to dislike something, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're, yeah. Trying to like it as well, which is a good, good way to read, but also, yeah. Mm. That feels like a good segue to talk about <laughs> your book, 
finally getting to half, half an hour in. Tell me about the cover to start with. There's a beautiful painting on here, but I don't quite understand what its significance is. Is it related to Williamstown? Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure it's a painting of Williamstown. Um, it's not in the title, but he did a lot of paintings. Um, John Percival of Williamstown. Right. Um, and yeah, like it, it looks like Williamstown to me. Mm. Yeah. And tell me about the epigraphs as well. There's a lot of music in this book. One is from Sandy Tom, I Wish I Was a Punk Rocker, and the other is from Modern Lover's song, Old World. Um, I originally had like seven, uh, what are they called? Epigraph? Epigram? Epigraph? I think both is fine. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, yeah, I like had so many, um, some of which didn't really... I wanted them to make sense and then they didn't end up really being part of the book. Mm -hmm. um, and then um, a lot of them were just like different song lyrics and I landed on those two. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the first one is just, it's such a shitty song. I wish I was, I a, wish punk I was a punk rocker with flowers in my hair. It is pretty terrible. It's a terrible song, but I really think those two lines are like very interesting because they don't quite make sense and yeah <laughs> yeah it doesn't make sense does it doesn't it? really make sense um unless i wonder if it does make sense to the person who wrote it yeah or maybe she just doesn't get what a punk rocker is she might not get it yeah. but i think she gets it and then the second <laughs> one is <laughs> yeah i think she does the second one is well the old world may be dead our parents can't understand but i still love my parents and i still love the old world really beautiful i think it's nice too yeah. yeah i came across that quite late and i was like damn that's kind of what the book's about yeah yeah it's like kind of paying respect to the older generation and and all the and the old world well, i don't know i don't yeah. really know what the old world is but um i think he's a very beautiful songwriter yeah jonathan richmond yeah modern lovers got some great songs um yeah your family are very much I can I can feel it's not like the poems are about your family members except with the exception of the poem for your sister poem for Leah which is really really great but um yeah you can kind of feel that this is a poet who's not going to write off where he came from and the people who kind of supported him like you've got a lot of love for Williamstown and obviously for your family as well and that's like here in the poems that's just really really lovely to see I guess yeah. yeah, it's funny that it came. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't really. Yeah, I, di I didn't intend to write about Williamstown, and it, it's kind of funny that I write about my family. Like, I don't really. It's kind of daggy. I feel like I'm not like a particularly daggy writer, but um, thematically, I'm somewhat daggy in that sense. <laughs> um, but actually, no. I think a lot of young writers write about their parents. They're yeah. interesting characters. <laughs> they are. They're very strange, and somehow. They were young once too. They were young. Yeah. yeah. You talked about the the, the dagginess in the themes. You, the poems definitely aren't daggy. They're the furthest you could possibly get from that. But um, there is, there's a poem called Punk Poem that includes the line, who cares, me. And I can remember Harry often saying at Seacleave events, you know, their tagline would be, um, who cares? <laughs> but I always knew that what they actually meant was, we really care about this. We really, really care about what's going on here. Yeah. Um, 
Who cares is a very, yeah, very sickly sort of sentiment. I think it kind of came from my friends at Williamstown, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Who cares? It's a big lie, because, like, yeah, the answer is I care. Yeah. And we care. Oh. But it's a good attitude to have as well, mm. maybe. Would love to embody that more in my life. <laughs> like, truly embody who cares. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. No, no. Well, I was just going to say, you, you seem so... Like people say this to me all the time. It's like, oh, Alice, you seem so calm. (laughs) You've got no idea. (laughs) You seem very relaxed and sort of not so much who cares, but like Mm. fairly, fairly chilled out. I'm not very chilled out. No, it's all just a front, isn't it? Um, Would I've I've marked a bunch of poems here, but is there one that you'd like to read to kind of get us into the vibe of the book? Um, What do you think? Yeah, well, I'm happy for you to choose. I'm just trying to think of like what's a reasonable length. Yeah, um, there's a lot of long ones. Yeah, what about How to Draw a Punk? Cool. That's like sort of short and sweet. Uh, how to Draw a Punk. One. I feel like the Eastern Seaboard, or was it the English language? The word piebald? Two. I'm foghorn leghorn spitting the dummy, strutting down the street, a big juice under wing. Three. I'm Arj Barker on Contiki, drinking mixed drinks, wasting all my fucking time. Four, JC. It was a very unhappy life, but in some ways, but, well, I did go to Worth Circus and saw a man shot out of a cannon. Five. I'm thinking I'm Courtney Barnett, but without the backyard. I'm thinking the backyard without Courtney Barnett. I'm a web developer. I'm set and leather guy. I'm getting out of the culture industry. I'm gargoyles, see me growing little moss mohawks, yes. I'm entering the milkshake coma, I'm in the Liberal Party, I'm talking chocolate bickies, I'm seeking help. You said we should look out further, are we having fun yet? Six. I'm this, I'm that, I'm the many idiot processes of becoming. But don't say processes, say, I want to get lost in your rock and roll and drift away. (laughs) Thank you. It's a very (laughs) silly poem, I think it's probably the silliest. Right, I picked the silliest one to start with. I think that's good. Yeah. But so how does how does this work then? Because you're saying writing poetry is serious business. And then a collection like this, even more so than Dear Eileen, because Dear Eileen is sort of talking about work and capitalism, commodities, yeah. um, and addressing all this to the poet Eileen Miles. There's... There is, there was a bit more seriousness there, I think, but this, this is, it's quite silly. It's like often overtly, but sometimes even accidentally, you just end up at a joke. Mm. Um, How does that work then? Like why, if it's so serious, why not write like Petra? Mm. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That's a cool question. Um, Fuck. I think, yeah, I probably have, like, a very strong, like, cringe at myself um, when I'm writing and I feel like it's too serious. I kind of, like, try to change it, um, which is kind of a weird impulse in a way. But I think it's also just, like, I'm not particularly good at writing seriously or, like, you know, I I don't really know how to like write um just a fully sincere poem and make it sort of what it should be Mm. 
um, but I, I probably haven't tried very hard to do that. Um, and I've just like balked at it and, and turned everything into, like I've tried to make it weird or, or silly and funny. Mm. Um, yeah, but in terms of why, probably because of who cares, but then also there's got to be more to it than that. I don't know. Well, it's, I, I don't know that, because I'm thinking about so many other poets when I'm thinking about that um, mode. And I doubt that any of them would be able to say why. Why do we do this? But what I think is interesting is you've just been to New York where, <laughs> where the, the, that American earnestness and sincerity, um, even if it is New York, even if it is kind of like um, that sort of very like borderline aggressive kind of, uh, they, 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 they absolutely care. I don't think anyone <laughs> in New York would say who cares. Yeah. Maybe they would, I don't know, but yeah. No, that's a good call. They don't know that word. No. That phrase. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. So I've just asked you an unanswerable Wait, question. Wait, no, say it again. What was the question? <laughs> oh no, I had a thought. No, I had a thought, which okay. is that, um, I, had like some kind of like half formed insight at some point early like learning about poetry where I was like you know play is serious it's like this kind of like isn't that crazy but it's so true because like if you're not you know being playful like I don't know I don't know what the the second sentence is but I, I think the, mm. the the idea or like principle that play is serious business or like being silly is serious business mm. um is like I mean, it's like a good way to read Australian poetry, maybe, and then poetry generally. Because, um, like, poetry that is exciting and, like, gives you life, or, like, gives me life at least, is is doing so because it's playful. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely feel the same way, which is not to say that I can't get behind a very, a very serious... I love the word you use in this review, porcelain, like a, a sort of a smooth and shiny and gorgeous poem I can I can definitely mm-hmm. get excited by that too but um but where I keep coming back to and you know the the poets that I gravitate towards here are the ones who are playing and taking that seriously and I mean you said it here you know a lot of Australian poetry is so tongue-in-cheek when looking at canonical themes or any theme right yeah whether it's family or or whatever um yeah maybe it's interesting as well like we're doing um talking about baron field in the class with elise and like the fact that like the first poems like penned in australia um were like literally satirical i feel like australia is a very like intensely satirical place in its art and i kind of hate satire like satire i find really grates on me um so it's yeah maybe maybe i'm not doing satire but um yeah, from, from the get-go, like, Australia was not taken seriously. How could we take ourselves seriously? How could, how could a white Australian poet take themselves seriously? I think that's the problem, yeah. What yeah. the hell are we doing here? Yeah. It's all a huge, um, like, we're a joke extension of a prison. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you're from Adelaide, in which case you're a free settler. <laughs> um. Yeah, I think, I feel as if we're always just watching 
poets respond to that void that Elise was talking about. Mm. And some go in Petra's direction. I'm just using Petra White as like a, a stand-in, you know. Um, yeah. Sorry, Petra, if you ever listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm also thinking of Kinsella and uh-huh. I'm thinking of David Brooks, you know, one of my absolute favourites and heroes. But, like, David Brooks is not there to make jokes. Mm. Maybe I should <laughs> read him. I don't I, think I've read David Brooks I reckon, before. I don't know that you would hate it. Maybe I can, can I read you one? Yeah, let's do it. All right. I also want to turn the heater on. I wonder. So this is, this book is like a hundred and something love poems for, for his partner. Wow. Yes. So very serious, right? That's Here cool. we go. Yeah. I respect that. Yeah. So the, <laughs> this is so lame. Okay. So this is, this is like the David Brooks vibe. The spirit. Some years have come, and then the spirit, not done with me yet, rises, does battle again, not telling me why. Only that, if I thought I had things worked out, I'd better think over. As if a human could ever be anything else. And I had another hundred experiences to go. Jealousy, anger, vulnerability, shame, indignity, foolishness. And love, that old bastard. Love again, coming in now, full sail. I think it's great, you know, like what, what it must feel like to, you know, fall in love again that late in life. Um, I can't believe we ended up at David Brooks. We're meant to be talking about your book. I'm sorry. Um, I wanted to ask you about the poem (laughs) Metals. I'm filled with envy once again, because you've also written a poem in response to Tim Wright's poem, Sons. Did you do that? I didn't do it. Oh, but. No. Did someone else do that? <laughs> Toby wrote a poem called Moons. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, what yeah. are you going to do? I was going to write a poem called Nangs. Nangs? <laughs> really? <laughs> no, but not actually. Fuck, that not, would be good. I'm not actually going to no, do it. No, you should though. do that. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> Nangs after Tim Wright's sons. Are you serious? <laughs> Probably Do you just make that up on the spot? No, no, I've been thinking. I've like actually hell. started it. But yeah, fuck yeah. Probably, That's incredible. He'd probably think it was the stupidest oh, thing Oh, Tim would love it, I reckon. No, he'd think it was dumb. Oh, um, I reckon you should ask him. I mean, I just wrote. I don't, you don't have to yeah. ask him. He doesn't have to like it. No, that's true. Um, Do you have any of the Nang poem? Can we hear a snippet? I, it's definitely, it's nothing. It's like illegible scribbles in a notebook. Okay. Um, but thank you very much for your encouragement. I look forward to reading it one day. <laughs> um, would you like to read us some of this one? I'll just read the start. Mm. I don't know where else to start. My carrot cake is metal like a city, made of spelt and engine oil. If everything was fresh, there'd be no metal. The smell of duck fat in the air is metal. We buy in. Waddle in the drizzle, slow and effortless metal freaks. The hunky punks above us jab and squeal. Old as fuck metal, pre-metal metal. So give me Mick Jagger in a metal Mario suit. Impervious, touching the roof, touching my friend. Despicable, metal. Sell me a kitsch dog, say Staffordshire Bull Terrier, and I'll cast it in metal. Mr. Worldwide is of the green pastures of tomorrow. Metal simply doesn't play into. But it's super metal, you don't have a boss. And he seeks this out like an ancient mission. Mr. Worldwide is not metal. And not a metal head liker. The heavy metal pussycat is metal. But only in a childish way. And only at the footy. Hobart is so metal. Covered in gaudy flames. Which give a start like wow but cook nothing. 
is the orgasmatron medal. Hmm. Well, yes. That'll do. That's yeah. Enough. Is that okay? Beautiful. That's great. Yeah, cool. Yeah. That's the start of the poem. Um, some stuff about witches in there, but they come in later. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a wonderful structure, isn't it? Just to, to keep circling around the same word. Um, it's cool as well because, like, um, I feel like this would happen, um, maybe it will happen to you with the Nang poem. Like, I started seeing metal around, like, yeah, yeah like, I, I don't know how, how long for maybe until the poem finished, but yeah, like, I saw, like, a sign at the footy that was this kid waving a flag that said heavy metal pussycat, and I was like, what the fuck is that doing here? Yeah, wow. Um, Synchronicity. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's cool. What did, did you think of this immediately when you read Sons, or...? Um, I don't think so. No, I think I, I just kind of wrote the first line. I stole the first line from, um, I was in Hobart and we saw St. Vincent. She was playing Dark Mofo. Oh, wow. Um, and she posted on Instagram a picture of like the flames at Dark Mofo and said, Hobart is so metal. Mm. And I thought it was very stupid. And I was like, what else is metal? Mm. <clears throat> um, yeah, I yeah. just think it's really cool that there's... Because I, I just thought that that poem was hypnotic and beautiful and, and just one of those poems you read and you're just like, that's so obvious, that should have always been there. Sons. Sons, That's yeah. a great way of describing it, actually, yeah. It's yeah. like, this had to exist. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But then I had the, the same experience. So this, this book is, is like, it's very tricksy <laughs> because you kind of go through it. I had another one marked here too. Just going to get you to read um, I'll come back to that. Yeah, you go through and it sort of lulls you into a false sense of security. It's like, yes, yes, it's a, it's a first collection. There are long poems. There are short poems. They're all very funny. They're all very light on their feet. Um, and then at the end, there's this poem called Vagabonding, which I don't know. I'm guessing it's about 5,000 words. Uh, shit, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Maybe a bit less. It's epic it's quite long yeah yeah and I got to it and I thought I had that same feeling of this is a before and after this is a like this is a line in the sand kind of poem Mm -hmm. um how tell me about writing it and what the the strategy was and I'll get you to read some um it was originally just a shorter poem in the book I think um it was like broken into nine like I just picked a random number um, and then I was like thinking about it as like characters, like oh, okay. describing different characters in each section. Um, I think that's what it was basically. Mm. Um, and it was, it was like subconsciously about Williamstown and then it just wasn't really working. So I put the like lines, just squished them together. Um, and I think I, yeah, I kind of wrote one of the sections on my phone and it just like came out and mm. then I like, yeah, tapped into some kind of weird it's like I was able to fit some stuff into that voice, but then also like some of it, I just was like, I need to just tap into that source again. Mm. So some of the sections I wrote after that first like word vomit um, section, I like tried to tap into the same source and they're not as good those sections. Like the OG like section of that is like the best one. Well, Although maybe it's not the best one, but it's a good one. Yeah. Read us, read us that one then. Okay. You call me a vagabond because I go quiet like that or I run. Enjoy the local cuisine, a series of breads, cornbreads, fried batter filled with rice and meat, or big lunch, 
or art history classes that get one going, as in the restaurant Tomas and I try to discuss the turn to abjection in maybe the 70s in Argentina, in Chile. City art about bodies and corpses or stinky little drawings that don't let you in. I look on the mountains, I vagabond, get robbed like I'm Paris, walk to the mountaintop, and see the chickens toying, then eat chicken soup with corn and various potatoes, so great and savoury. And this is before I even met you. <clears throat> before I knew the mountains, like I've later felt I could, as if I could. The mountains like a cradle, who called me Flaco, then called me Vagabond. Of course you can't stay forever. Vagabond, the way e.g. mountains do something to you in secret and how mentioning that is. Or the way sunbathing is like the end of thought, is totally downhill. The way aspirations to be that kind of middle class form a burnt crust on the soul, responsible for so much displeasure, especially when arrived upon. Sun baking the way the farm, the farm cuckoo, the way none of this is suburbia at all, but absolutely starts there, or contains it by being its opposite, or it's someone's suburbia, possibly a state of mind, or in any case cracks open at the checkout at Safeway Williamstown, or going online to look at pictures of unknowable plants and animals. And not that I ever did or could vagabond really, but the possibility of that, that in your city I was a rock and roll douchebag without even the guitar. A soft image of a man who comes and goes, where real men lived and died, drinking orange juice on the way to class. Up the mountains, quoting paintings thinness in the way you move, dressed up honey brown blue grey like the bus. Mm, thank you. Yeah, that or, 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 that kind of, it's constantly switching, constantly moving. You never get tied down to a single image. So that section that you just read was one that you feel came easily. Yeah. And then it was a question of reproducing that effect. Yeah. Yeah. Summoning the... Yeah, spirit the of Williamstown, yeah. singing me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, I don't understand the spirit. I don't know which spirit it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, Some kind of spirit, though. Do you feel like there are spirits helping you write poetry? No, fuck no. Really? Although you do mention Jack Spicer, yeah. um, who yeah. absolutely yeah, believed that. He was yeah. like, yeah, you, you're not writing. If you think you're writing it, then you should throw it away. That's an insane idea. <laughs> I, yeah, I've read a bit of that stuff. Um, and I think I feel slightly similarly to him, but I... Also, I'm like, I don't really know what you're talking about. Um, I like the kind of, um, I like the idea that you're not writing the poem. Though. I think that's very appealing to me. I'm not quite sure why, but yeah, um, I guess I just believe it to be true. Well, in that poem, <clears throat> in, in Vagabonding, you are, that, that's sort of what I was trying to say before, is you're, not only are you not getting attached to a single idea, but you, Gareth Morgan, are like completely out of the way. It feels like you are just recording um, layering that ability to just stay completely open and not well I just I just did a an episode about Bernadette Mayer's Midwinter Day where she records everything that she does in a single day and that ability to stay open to everything not edit not be like this is worth including this isn't yeah the ability to just accept everything into the poem that's not something that I feel um, particularly equipped to to do and I don't think that a lot of people I mean I mentioned Pam because I always mention Pam but I, you I don't, Pam. I don't yeah. think there are that many like yeah is there anyone that you were sort of thinking about when you were doing that or I mean I had read Midwinter Day and like I 
obviously this was not written in, in any, like, wasn't written that fast or whatever. Okay. Um, but, yeah, maybe I was attracted to, like, yeah, the idea of poetry, like, just coming out or, like, yeah, maybe it's Martians writing the poetry for you. Um, <laughs> maybe Jack was right all yeah. along. Yeah. Well, so just as a last question then, um, why do so many Australian poets go for that serious mode? Um, and I, d I don't know if it's like so many in terms of like the majority, but it does feel like a fairly even split. Hmm. Does that seem right to you? I don't know. Yeah. Definitely when you think about prizes, right? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, why do they go for the serious? When, yeah, why, why is that, why is there that draw toward the serious when colonial Australia, you know, settler, white settler Australia is ridiculous? Mm. Maybe it's a bit of like, uh, I could say a few like less kind, or like, I'm like, <laughs> I feel like some people are just cowards or something and they don't like difficult work because they just think it's, or they say it's pretentious, but they just like, it, it doesn't sit well with them. And it's also fine that it doesn't sit well with them or whatever. Mm. Um, so I think on the one hand, some people are just like resistant to, um, and like you see this in like, you know, reviews of, of certain like um, writers like Michael Farrell, where like um, there's a great review of Michael that um, Jeff Pedro, have you read that? Oh, the, um, the, the obscurantism thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've never talked about that on here because I'm too scared. You're but, too scared. But now I'm going to have to. <laughs> Why are you scared? Well, because so I feel old. like people... I know it's really old, but like people's <laughs> feelings seem to get really hurt. Yeah. Whose feelings are going to get hurt? I guess Jeff Page's feelings are going to get hurt. Well, no, I feel like Michael's feelings were really hurt. Yeah, his feelings were hurt. I don't know. Um, but maybe that's overstating. I shouldn't speak for him. Um, <laughs> but just, to, just for people yeah. who weren't aware, that, that whole thing was that... Um, and I always meant to talk to Jeff Page and I still haven't gotten around to it. And I do want to, but um, Jeff Page wrote a review in Southerly of, was it just of Michael's I can't book? remember. I think maybe there was some other people, like he was hinting at other people maybe. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. And sort of trying to draw out um, a theory of, trying to collect people into this basket of, they are being deliberately difficult, deliberately obscure. Obscurantism is the word that I remember. Mm -hmm. I'll um, I'll read I'll read some of it in the in the intro so that yeah. people know what we're on about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But cool. um, I think yeah. that that the way you just described that um, this like the reviewer being like it's just needlessly silly. Like it just that just sounds like mum and dad, you know. And I think that's why. Um, that's why people go for the serious because they are mum and dad. Um, <laughs> and then some people go for the non-serious because they're the naughty child. Um, or they're just the child as well. Like it's not necessarily naughty to be, you know, willfully obscure or whatever, like you mm. want to call it. Like, um, it, it, I think that's not actually very naughty at all. I think it's the normal thing to do. <laughs> like we live in such a strange world. It's weird to like, um, create like. Um, monuments to it. I mean, it's not weird to create monuments to how you feel. Like that book, that poem that you read is like lovely and 
mad respect. Like, I could never do that. But, you know, the world's so weird. I don't know. It's so weird. You just fucking go sicko mode on it. I don't know. <laughs> it's a very dumb answer. But, yeah, maybe it's to do with um, mum and dad. So perfect. That, that was a perfect answer. Um, yeah, thank you. That's like, we've gotten to the thing that I wanted to kind of get at. So I'm totally satisfied. Excellent. <laughs> um, yeah, it's hard. It's hard to talk about this stuff though, right? Like, I yeah. feel like it's hard. I think it's, it's, it's curious because yeah, like feelings are on the line as well. Like I don't, yeah. I didn't know Michael when that um, review happened. Nor did I. No. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it could I mean, it could be bad to get a bad review. Like, it could be bad for you, like, literally and also emotionally. Um, and being told off by mum and dad really sucks sometimes. It really sucks. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, I don't know. Um, Maybe it's done because it was it was about more than one person and also because Jeff probably did put his finger on something I don't know if this is so much true now but like well maybe it's always true but like difficulty is alienating true yeah that David Brooks poem is very it's it's all there for you Mm. and yeah it's just it's just impossible to talk about without just ending up in this kind of quicksand of like easy is better or dif- difficulty, only thing that counts. Easy is lazy. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> just like none of those, neither of those things are right. Yeah. yeah. One day I'll go talk to Jeff and we'll see what he thinks. You should, yeah. Mm. I think the alienating, like the text being alienating, is is a very good, like very important component of that, like of the problem. Like people, it it feels bad to read a book and you don't get it and you're like, oh, I hate this. Like it sucks. Yeah, yeah. You um, feel you feel stupid. You feel yeah. like you're being left out and and you're not. Everybody else gets it. I must not be in the center. I must yeah, not. Yeah, yeah. But I guess I just fundamentally think that's like the wrong <clears throat> way to think about reading. Maybe, like, yeah, it's a it's a misconception of what reading is is about. Like, that's probably a pretty stupid take, but it's almost like I don't really read anything to get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're comfortable not you're comfortable not getting it. Yeah, or like yeah, and like you you don't get it. Like you know, you, I don't get that poem that you just read. Like the, the I don't really get it. Like I get it. Like it it's it's easy to analyze if you were like in a high school and you could say what the poem is about. But in a way, like it's such a immense world that like you can't really get to the bottom of it, and that's just fundamentally true of all texts, right? Mm. And so the desire for something to be simple and understandable is like, (laughs) it's not lazy, it's just like, it's curious because it's like, you don't understand the poem, like you can't understand the easy poem either. Maybe you can, I don't know. (laughs) That's great. I'm theorizing. (laughs) Do you think that's true? Yeah, Um, I think you probably can. But then the funny thing is like doing this sort of, work and talking to people about their poems is you also realize how often even the easy stuff gets misunderstood we're constantly missing the mark miscommunicating just as you experience when you go to america you're just like trying to have a simple conversation about shots or shopping shopping. (laughs) just trying to go shopping with the bartender
parents can understand But I still have parents And I still love the old world Oh, I had a New York girlfriend 